Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Glasgow Times News Podcast, normally recorded in our studio at the Bishop Briggs Media Centre, currently recorded from our volunteers' homes. To keep in touch with us, use our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, which are all at Q and Review. That's C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W. Or get in touch via information at qandreview.com. That's information at C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W dot com. Please like and share our podcast and give us any constructive feedback. From the Glasgow Times, Thursday the 17th of February 2022, from the news section, Gang leave Glasgow woman, 24, distressed after breaking into her home while she was inside. By Lauren Brownlee. A Glasgow woman has been left shaken after three thugs broke into her suicide home and robbed her. The 24-year-old was within the property at Bofield Crescent in Penelope when the three men entered yesterday at 4.50pm. Cops say they described their they described as wearing dark clothing with their faces covered. Police are carrying out high visibility patrols in the local area alongside extensive inquiries to establish who is responsible for this attack. Detective Sergeant Neil Guy from Govan CID said this was a particularly distressing incident for the victim and we can only be thankful that she was not injured during the course of the crime. We are appealing for any witnesses, local residents with private CCTV or possible dashcam footage to please come forward. We're also keen to hear from anyone who believes they may have seen any suspicious vehicles in the local area prior to the incident. Anyone with information which may assist our investigation, no matter how small, should call police on 101, quoting incident 2423 of February 16th. Alternatively, you can call Crime Stoppers on 0800 555 1 if you wish to remain anonymous. That was an article by Lauren Brownlee. From the Glasgow Times, Thursday the 17th of February 2022. From the news section. Murderer who strangled nurse fiancé to death with bare hands dies in prison. By Lauren Brownlee. A murderer who strangled his fiancé to death with his bare hands has died in prison. John Miller died at HMP Greenock on February the 14th, aged 58. Scottish Prison Service, SPS, confirmed the news. He had been sentenced to life behind bars for murdering 48-year-old nurse Liz Duncan at Aberdeen High Court in 2009, the Daily Record reports. Miller had seized hold of her neck and compressed it until he had murdered her on May 28, 2009. Liz, an auxiliary nurse in the coronary care unit at Inverclyde Royal Hospital, had been with him since August 2008. The pair had been at an arts guild show before moving on to the Celtic Supporters Club in Greenock for a drink. Miller went home to his ground floor flat on the town's Wellington Street before his fiancée joined him shortly before 1am. Neighbours told how they heard a heated argument coming from the ground floor flat, during which Miller choked Liz to death. Police Scotland have been advised of his death and the matter has been reported to the prosecutor fiscal. An SPS statement said, John Miller, 58, a prisoner from HMP Greenock, has died on the 14th of February 2022. Mr Miller was sentenced at Aberdeen High Court in 2009.
Police Scotland have been advised and the matter will be reported to the Procurator Fiscal. A fatal accident inquiry will be held in due course. And that was an article by Lauren Brownlee. From the Glasgow Times, Thursday the 17th of February 2022, from the news section, Residents call for Well Park Community Hall in Glasgow to reopen. By Lauren Gilmore, Facebook community reporter. Residents in Glasgow's East End are calling for a much-loved community hall to reopen. Well Park Community Hall has been closed since March 2020 due to the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. The centre is managed by Glasgow Housing Association, GHA, for locals to use for bingo nights and Zumba classes, but campaigners claim funding for the building has been withdrawn. Caroline Robertson, a local tenant, said that neighbours are keen to see the hall return for community use. She said, While other community centres have continued to run, safely and with appropriate COVID measures in place, the Well Park Community Hall has been completely shut for over two years. Tenants' rent pays for this hall, but GHA refused to open it for the local community, and the local community are in desperate need of a hall where they can come together as a community and interact. We need this hall, and we need GHA to give back to the community. It is residents' money that went to fund the community centre. It's part of the service we pay for. Ying Lai Lee also lives nearby and said that reopening the centre would put Well Park on the map. She said, People would regain the community spirit we lost years ago. It would be a vital resource in the area. You don't hear of Well Park. For the Well Park Community Hall to reopen, it would put the area on the map. It would make Well Park a wee bit more well known. I used the centre in the past for training and I went to Zumba classes. I think it's important because it means that other communities and organisations can use it. Now, Tenants, Le- Tenants Union Living Rent has lost and launched a petition calling on GHA to reopen the hall. The Housing Association maintains that it could reopen if a suitable event or activity was identified. They said, The community hall has been closed for a considerable length of time due to the COVID restrictions and not having a designated person in place to take responsibility for opening and closing the hall. Should an organisation approach us looking to utilise the hall for an event such as used as a polling station or activity, we can look at this depending on the numbers of persons looking to use it and what activity it's for. We do not rent out the hall for private functions. And that article was an exclusive by Lauren Gilmore. Evening Times, February 17. Lifestyle. East Kilbride author speaks of joy at first book sold in Glasgow Waterstones. Report by Nicole Mitchell. A self-published author has spoken about the surreal experience of seeing her first book for sale in Waterstones. Paula Johnston released her debut novel, The Lies She Told, on Amazon in August 2020, where it quickly climbed up the bestsellers list. The psychological thriller reached number 13 in romantic suspense and number 48 in psychological fiction and has sold more than 10,000 copies. Now, after more than a year of work, The East Kilbride author has spoken of the amazing experience of seeing her book for sale in Waterstones 
after it was released in the Glasgow Fort store on Monday. Paula said, it was gobsmacking. I honestly have not felt anything like that ever in my life before. It was just a very surreal feeling. The 31-year-old wrote the book while working in an office doing admin, spending her lunch break writing before finishing it at home during lockdown. After a year and a half of writing, she took courses to learn how to self-publish the book and even designed the cover and did the marketing herself, realising a lifelong dream. Paula said, I always wanted to be a writer when I was younger. From about five years old I used to write on A4 bits of paper and draw a front cover to go with it. I studied journalism at college, I dropped out and just felt that there was something else I was going to do rather than do reporting and it's just kind of stayed with me until I decided just to go for it one day and try it. For the lies she told, Paula used her previous dating experience as inspiration for the book. She said, I had previous experience with online dating and I've spoken to a few people through there and it was just what could be the worst case scenario if something got out of hand. So I just went with that. Paula found out shortly before Christmas People had been going into Waterstones and asking if the book was in stock, helping to speed up the process of getting the book into the store. She said, everybody's been so supportive and I found the reading community in general on social media have been amazing. They've really taken to the book and they've shared it everywhere and it's really them that's got to it whereby spreading the word. I'm really thankful for everybody that's got behind me. After the success of her first book, Paula is now writing full time and says it's a little more scary writing her second novel. She said, it's a bit slower than the first time, just because I think there are more eyes on me this time, but I'm quite hopeful a lot of people will enjoy this one. I think it might be my favourite, so I'm hoping, fingers crossed, other people think so too. Glasgow Times recorded on Friday 18th of February 2022. News. Arnhold Place, Man Found Dead in Glasgow's Southside by Sarah Campbell, digital journalist. A man has been found dead in unexplained circumstances in Glasgow's Southside. The 29-year-old was discovered at a property in Arnhall Place at around 8.55am today, Thursday, February 17. It is understood that a large police presence remained in place throughout the day, with sections of road in the surrounding area closed off to traffic. Inquiries are ongoing into what has been described as a sudden death. A Police Scotland spokesperson, officers were called to a property in Arnhall Place in Glasgow around 8.55am on Thursday, February 17, 2022 following the sudden death of a 29-year-old man. The death has been treated as unexplained and inquiries into the circumstances are ongoing. A report will be submitted to the Procurator Fiscal in due course. By Sarah Campbell, Glasgow Times recorded on Friday 18th of February 2022. News. Bishop Briggs' dad hurled sectarian abuse at police. By Catriona Stewart, columnist stroke reporter. 
A man distressed after losing contact with his son hurled sectarian abuse at cops. Graham McIntosh came to the attention of officers who had been called to Glendale Drive in Bishop Briggs due to a disturbance. When McIntosh saw them walking towards the house around 7.35pm on July 6th last year, he started to shout and swear at them in an aggressive manner, saying scummy B star 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 and waving his arms around. Glasgow Sheriff Court was told that, despite being asked to calm down, the 45-year-old continued his tirade of abuse. He shouted, F star 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 star, M star 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 star, and F star 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 the police, calling them scummy B star 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 star, we be star 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 and stupid cow. Macintosh of Bishop Briggs then added, you bunch of fiend scummy B star 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 and F star 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 the Pope. His defence brief said, he expresses his remorse and embarrassment at the incident. At the time of the offence, he was receiving prescription medication, which he unwisely mixed with drink. In the period since July, his life has been a series of ups and downs because he lost contact with his son. The incident was a wake-up call and he's determined to mend his ways and is in the process of getting into a gas certification course as part of returning to a normal life. Sheriff Alan Findlay fined Macintosh £500, reduced from £600 thanks to his early guilty plea. By Catriona Stewart, Glasgow Times recorded on Friday 18th of February 2022. News. Gunman who fired shot into Glasgow's Four Corners walks from court. By Connor Gordon, court reporter. A gunman who fired a shot into a busy city centre street walked free from court today. Lachlan McNair was caught with the imitation firearm outside Glasgow Central train station in October 20, 2021. The 59-year-old dad of one earlier pulled the trigger into the city centre's four corners before fleeing the scene. He was discovered after he sorted out his balaclava which was initially put in back to front. McNair pleaded guilty at Glasgow Sheriff Court to possession of a firearm or imitation firearm with intent to cause John Snoddy to believe lawful violence would be used against another person. The court heard McNair was in Argyle Street around 9pm and was spotted with an object by Mr Snoddy, a stranger. Prosecutor Laura Bradley said McNair was seen pointing the gun at the four corners followed by a small bang. McNair put the gun in his pocket before going into the train station where he pulled down a balaclava. Miss Bradley added, it was initially backwards in McNair's head. He adjusted it and revealed his eyes and mouth only. The witness followed McNair up to the high level of the station before he headed out to Hope Street. Police attended and traced McNair to a convenience store nearby where he was searched. Miss Bradley said, a black BB gun with a blue slot was found in the inside of his jacket pocket. The balaclava was also found inside his jacket pocket. He was cautioned and charged, then told officers, it's only an air gun. Jerry O'Donnell, defending, told the sentencing that the offence arose as he had ill will with people who loiter in the Four Corners area. The lawyer added, he took the BB gun with the view to frighten these individuals. He accepts other people would have been upset and shocked by that, which he takes full responsibility for. Sheriff Sean Murphy QC put McNair under supervision for two years and ordered him not to loiter in the Four Corners area. He said, regardless of what you thought, this gun is a type of firearm in Scots law. You have a previous conviction of a firearm offence from 33 years ago. If you get a third conviction, you will appear at the High Court where the minimum jail term is five years. By Conor Gordon. Glasgow Times recorded on Friday 18th of February 2022. News. 
Man called police officer white supremacist at Black Lives Matter rally in Glasgow by Conor Gordon, court reporter. A man who called a police officer a white supremacist at a Black Lives Matter rally was fined £470 today. Jamie O'Neill, 31, made the remark at Glasgow Green on June 7, 2020. O'Neill also screamed at four officers in the vicinity about police brutality during his tirade of abuse. O'Neill pleaded guilty at Glasgow Sheriff Court to behaving in a threatening or abusive manner. The court heard the officers approached O'Neill at 3.30pm as he was shouting and swearing within a group of people. Attempts were made to calm O'Neill, but he continued his behaviour. Prosecutor Victoria Keogh said he began screaming various expletives about police brutality and black people being subjected to violence at the hands of police. O'Neill was again warned to stop shouting and screaming. He replied to one officer, you're a white supremacist, see star star star. Police did not attempt to arrest him at the time due to the nature of the protest. As officers walked away, O'Neill said, I walk away, please be star 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 s, hang your heads in shame. O'Neill was arrested later that day. Sheriff Bernard Ablett told O'Neill of Blanter, South Lanarkshire, that his behaviour was cowardly. He added, there was a likelihood that your behaviour would start serious behaviour against the officers and you're lucky it did not escalate. By Connor Gordon, Glasgow Times recorded on Friday 18th February 2022. News. Martin Comston, Unionist Troll Slapped Down by Line of Duty Star. By Hamish Morrison, Political Reporter. Martin Comston has hit out at Unionist Trolls after he was attacked over his support for independence. The Line of Duty star shut down a troll who accused him of not paying taxes in the UK. Responding to a tweet from The National, which told of how Greenock born Comston and Alan Cumming were coming to the Glasgow Film Festival this year, the stars were branded the Indie, brackets, non-taxpayers, close brackets, lovies. But Comston claimed he had paid more than £250,000 in tax since July 2021. He said the huge sum should earn me the right not to listen to unionist troll pish every time he was announced for events in Scotland. Comston tweeted, Hey Eddie, since last July alone I've paid over a quarter of a million pounds to HMRC Cumbernauld. I don't get credit for that, it's what it I owe. He added, It should earn me the right not to listen to unionist troll pish every time I'm announced to appear at an event in my home country. We told previously how indie supporting Comston's dream role is to play the Edinburgh-born Irish Republican, James Connolly. Speaking in RTE show, Ask Me Anything, Comston37 said, It was somewhere I had always wanted to go. That period of history fascinates me. I may be a bit young for it at the moment, but to play James Connolly would be a dream role for me. I think people forget or people don't know he was Scottish. Comston is due to appear at the Glasgow Film Festival alongside Cumming, Lulu and Jack Loudon. The festival runs from March 2 to 13, with a programme which envelops 10 world film premieres, 4 European premieres, 65 UK premieres and 13 Scottish premieres. By Hamish Morrison. This article is from The National, date 18th February 2022, from the Culture section. Vegan Restaurant Scotland, 4 Great Veggie Places to Eat in 2022 by Phil McHugh. Here are four great vegetarian and vegan restaurants to try this year. Grams, Edinburgh. Grams is a vegan cafe that specialises in plant-based meals and covers a variety of dietary needs, including gluten-free alternatives. Popular for brunch, 
Graham's dishes include vegan nachos with cashew cheese sauce, avocado and pulled pork, as well as clean beans on sourdough toast with tofu scramble topping. Baba, Edinburgh. Baba, which celebrates the flavour of the Levant, is the creation of the team behind Glasgow's award-winning Ox and Finch restaurant. You'll discover a range of mezzi and grill platters great for sharing, including char-grilled broccoli with lentils, pomegranate and hazelnuts, and cauliflower shawarma among the main courses. The Hug and Pint, Glasgow. The Hug and Pint is the ideal spot for some live music, drinks and a bite to eat from the dedicated vegan kitchen. Its menu is inspired by Asian cuisine and changes every day, but expect excellent dishes like miso aubergine, Korean kimchi and jackfruit curry. Ranjit's Kitchen, Glasgow Southside Food at Ranjit's Kitchen, one of Glasgow's best restaurants, is entirely vegetarian. Ranjit, who is originally from Punjab, delivers her unique recipes and love for cooking that makes this restaurant a hidden gem. Vegan staples include dal, which is lentil, chana and aloo, or potato-based curries, along with deep-fried vegetable pakoras, sweet chutneys and tangy pickles. That article was by Phil McHugh. This article is from the Glasgow Times, date 18th February 2022, from the Lifestyle section. Glasgow Buchanan Gallery's demolition plan will attract strong investor interest. By Drew Sandilands, local democracy reporter. There will be strong investor interest in Glasgow if the £825 million plan to demolish Buchanan Galleries and build a new urban quarter goes ahead, a property expert has predicted. Louise Norris, a city-based commercial property partner at a legal firm Lindsay's, believes the redevelopment would be an exciting prospect for businesses. And she said, a joined-up approach to revamping the city centre is needed, looking at Suckyhall Street and Argyle Street too. This week, Glasgow's City Centre Task Force announced plans to review the current Style Mile, Argyle, Buchanan and Suckyhall Streets due to retail trends and the increase in empty units and sites. It intends to take a master planning approach to create a mix of uses including shops, homes, bars, restaurants and leisure venues. The task force which has public and private sector members, is chaired by Councillor Angus Miller and Stuart Patrick, the Chief Executive of Glasgow's Chamber of Commerce. Plans for the review have been revealed just weeks after the Council agreed to talk with the head tenant of Buchanan Gallery's Landsec over the transformation and as big-name retailers such as Marks & Spencer pull out of Sucky Hall Street. Councillor Miller said the three main streets are at the heart of Glasgow's shopping district, but we know the retail sector is changing. Securing a vibrant, sustainable future for the city centre will mean supporting a range of uses, 
including retail, hospitality, office and residential. And undertaking a master planning approach will help identify the right mix for these key destination streets. Lindsay's partner, Ms Norris, believes a big picture approach is vital if the new blueprint will help the city reach its potential. She said, I would expect there to be a healthy interest from investors looking to become part of what could emerge from the Buchanan Galleries area, both in terms of developing and setting up businesses there. It's an exciting prospect. Just look at the transformation of the Merchant City in recent times as an example of what can be achieved to create a welcoming, successful area. There's an opportunity to deliver that on a wider scale. A joined up approach with everything else going on throughout the city centre will be an important part of the wider success for the city though. By taking holistic action across the whole area from Sucky Hall Street down Buchanan Street to Argyle Street, there's a chance to have developments which complement each other and create a great overall experience. Hopefully the plans for Buchanan Galleries and the St Enoch Centre can really unlock that potential. At St Enoch Centre, there are currently plans for a 500 million transformation, which includes 1,700 new homes, offices and a four-star hotel. The rise of online shopping, as well as the pandemic and workers spending less time in offices, has left a once thriving retail sector struggling. Ms Norris added, there's no hiding from the challenges that the retail sector faces. Changing habits accelerated by the impacts of COVID-19 mean that bigger shops are going to have difficulties. The plans which are emerging show that out of these challenges are coming opportunities to create a city centre that is stronger and more sustainable economically and environmentally. Mixed-use city centres where people can live, work and enjoy leisure time are going to be an important part of a vibrant, successful future. That article was by Drew Sandilands. This article is from the Glasgow Times, date 18th February 2022, from the Opinion section. Who asked for a redemption arc for Prince William? By Adam Miller. I'm writing this column as Storm Dudley approaches, and by the time you read it, we'll be firmly in the grip of Storm Eunice. While I have the luxury of being able to work from home, there are many who have no choice but to brave the elements in order to earn a living. A cocktail of gale force winds, low pay and demanding customers might tempt you to feel sympathy for Deliveroo workers trudging up hills on their bikes. Your heart might go out to NHS workers setting off for intense 12-hour PPE-clad shifts at four in the morning. Spare a thought, however, for Nicholas Witchell. No one in Britain has a harder job right now than the man who has to speak up for the royal family on national television after the Prince Andrew story. But the BBC's royal correspondent has once again stepped up to the plate. It was confirmed on Tuesday that Prince Andrew had reached a settlement with Virginia Geoffrey, who had accused him of having sexually assaulted her on three occasions when she was 17 years old. The figure involved was undisclosed, 
but various newspapers have put it at around £12 million. Thanks to the settlement, the Duke of York will not have to give evidence in a trial. A day after they had irresponsibly handed tennis champion and vaccine misunderstanding misunderstander Novak Djokovic a platform from which to say cream of snail and oil of newt make the Covid go kaput, <laughs> Witchell, Nicholas Witchell somehow managed to be the week's most embarrassing BBC interviewee. If you're unfamiliar with Witchell's work, picture a man being presented with a boot and thinking, I'm going to spend a quarter of a century licking this. A guy whose version of football's transfer window is the crown announcing its new cast every two seasons. If Buckingham Palace is the Springfield nuclear power plant, he's whale on smithers, only more obsequious. And just as Mr Burns hardly bothers to hide his contempt for Smithers, so Witchell's beloved royals show little appreciation for him, despite decades of sycophancy. After Witchell was asked a question about Camilla Parker Bowles in 2005, cameras picked up Prince Charles telling Prince William, I can't bear that man. I mean, he's so awful. He really is. <laughs> Still, Witchell continues to suit up for his role as Royal Correspondent, a title that his fellow BBC reporters presumably look upon with the same admiration and respect as the rest of my under-10s football team did my Most Improved Player Award. <laughs> Not valuable or improved. With straight face, Witchell spoke on Tuesday of the huge relief that the settlement will be to the royal family in this year of the Platinum Jubilee. He was then inexplicably allowed to continue saying words. Witchell informed viewers that there was very careful wording in the settlement, no admission of liability. Yes, someone paying off to the tune of £12 million screams of no admission of liability. I mean, who among us hasn't given someone they've never met a £12 million payoff to stop them talking about something that didn't happen? He told us that Andrew had been shown to have had such poor judgment of such poor choice of friends, which is certainly one way of putting the thing that we're all thinking, but which I can't say in a newspaper column. Speaking of poor judgment, Witchell went on to say, perhaps the answer is for him, as he says, to pledge to support the fight against the evils of sex trafficking. I don't know. I can't help feeling like there might have been a less expensive way for Andrew to fight against that particular evil. He added, perhaps that offers the best, perhaps the, even the only route back for him. Yes, as everyone digested the news that another powerful figure had been allowed to spend their way out of trouble, Witchell asked the question on everyone's, sitting on everyone's lips. So, what of Andrew's future? Could there possibly be a route back to a public role? We've recently seen this kind of question asked in relation to David Goodwillie. In January 2017, civil case, Judge Lord Armstrong ruled that the footballer and his former Dundee United teammate David Robertson had raped a woman in January 2011. 
His recent signing for Wraith Rovers sparked an outcry and prompted the withdrawal of sponsors, employees and fans before the club finally relented and confirmed that the striker would not play for them. There were some who asked what's next for Goodwillie and how does he rebuild his reputation, to which the correct answers are more consequences, hopefully, and he can't because he has failed to admit guilt or display remorse. While circumstances are different, focus is again on the accused well-being rather than that of the accuser. We don't need to hear about a redemption arc for these people. That won't stop the likes of Witchell trying to map one out. As for Prince Andrew, he can have no complaints should his arc conclude in the fiery place below. If nothing else, he'll be the only one there with a dry forehead. That article was by Adam Miller. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 21st of February. Anderston Railway Station flood cause to be investigated. An article written by Sara Pacheroni, multimedia reporter. The cause of a flooded underpass, dubbed the Great Loch of Anderston, is to be investigated by the council after it became inaccessible to wheelchair users for a week following heavy rain. The flooding in the space outside Anderston Railway Station had developed early last week and grew progressively, nearly spilling over to an adjacent road on Friday. Fed-up residents took to social media to raise fears that wheelchair users would be unable to use the pedestrian subway. Glasgow City Council says the flood has now been drained and the cause is being investigated. However, there are concerns this might happen again, as heavy rain is due to hit Glasgow again this week. A local resident tweeted on Friday, haven't been able to use this path as a wheelchair user for about a week now. The underpass, which is one of the main pedestrian routes connecting the city centre to the West End, became inaccessible after the water concealed trip hazards and made it impossible to cross in a wheelchair. Local group Glasgow Living Streets had tweeted, The lack of lighting at the Great Lake of Anderston is making this route quite difficult to use. It later added, The Great Lake of Anderston continues to grow. The crossing is now flooded and is difficult to pass. If the lake can't be drained, perhaps a ferry could be put in place. Is it time to contact Calmac Ferries to set up a ferry service on the Great Loch of Anderston? With the storms due over the next few days, this route will likely become totally impassable. It's already impassable for many people. Greens councillor Christy Mairns had also chimed in to highlight the issue last Monday. She tweeted, I passed the Great Loch of Anderston at the railway station the other night and had to use my phone light to avoid stepping into the water and tripping over the paving. Why has it still not been fixed, given the risk to pedestrians, especially those with disabilities? A Glasgow City Council spokesman said, Work to deal with flooding at this location began on Thursday and continued on Friday. A full inspection will be carried out to examine if there's an underlying drainage issue and appropriate follow-up work will be undertaken. An article written by Sara Pacheroni. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 21st of February. Brits bemused by one detail as the Queen tests positive for Covid. An article written by Kieran Doody, UK trending editor. Brits were left bemused by one particular detail after news broke that the Queen has tested positive for COVID-19. The monarch has tested positive for the virus and is experiencing mild cold-like symptoms. 
The 95-year-old has fallen ill after it was confirmed she'd been in direct contact with her eldest son and heir, the Prince of Wales, the week he had the disease. Covid symptoms may appear from 2 to 14 days after the exposure to the virus, but it's understood a number of cases have also been diagnosed amongst the Windsor Castle team. The shock announcement was made just a few weeks after the nation's longest reigning monarch reached her historic platinum jubilee of 70 years on the throne on February the 6th. Buckingham Palace said in a statement, Buckingham Palace confirmed that the Queen has today tested positive for Covid. Her Majesty is experiencing mild cold-like symptoms, but expects to continue light duties at Windsor over the coming week. She'll continue to receive medical attention and will follow all the appropriate guidelines. Concern across the nation will be at peak levels for the Queen, given her advanced age and her health scare in recent months, and her popularity in a country where many have known no other monarch on the throne. But news that the Queen is expected to continue light duties didn't sit well with Brits as they reacted to the news. One Welwisher tweeted, I'm bemused to see that the Queen will change to carrying out light duties. She's 95. I would hope she only ever does light duties. You've got Covid, ma'am. No digging trenches for you. Another added, light duties. She's 95. Let her rest. The country will still cope if she never did any duties again. Good heavens, she's 95 and has Covid. Give her a lemsip and a duvet and let her watch daytime telly. Duties can be delegated, added a third. And a fourth said, I'm not a royalist by any means, but she's 95. Let her rest for Pete's sake. The Queen is the latest monarch from around the world to catch Covid. Queen Margareta of Denmark, who's 82, and Spain's King Philippe VI, who's 54, both tested positive for the illness on February the 9th. An article by Kieran Doody. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 21st of February. East Kilbride Primary becomes first Scottish school to get top award. An article written by Esther Tarnay, reporter. An East Kilbride Primary School has been awarded the title Centre of Excellence. Crosshouse Primary School is the first institution in Scotland to receive the award and be named Centre of Excellence in Financial Education. The programme provides a set of professional standards to support schools to deliver practical, effective and sustainable financial education which meets its pupils' needs and priorities. They got the title for the school's commitment to a progressive financial education programme which against the backdrop of the pandemic has been created to support its young pupils and in turn its local community by involving parents and carers, teachers and other partners. In particular, the school was commended for the way in which it engaged its pupils both through its Pupil Financial Education Group, which discussed ideas and resources, as well as with its financial mascots, Freddie and Frankie. Jackie Noon, Crosshouse Primary's class teacher and financial education champion, said, We feel it's vitally important for our children to develop a broad range of skills, knowledge and attitudes to thrive in a financially evolving society, and to prepare them for the responsibility of having to manage their own money. We've loved how the children have embraced the programme and we're thrilled to be a centre of excellence for financial education. Marie Leck, a school delivery manager for Young Enterprise Scotland, who's been working closely with Crosshouse Primary over the past year, said, We're delighted for Crosshouse Primary and congratulate the teaching staff for achieving the centre of excellence status, the first in Scotland. All their hard work and commitment has paid off. 
They created a dynamic and engaging financial education programme which recognised the impact of money matters on both numeracy and social well-being. I hope it'll be a beacon for others to take up a Centre of Excellence programme at their school. The school will join a network of over 150 Centres of Excellence already accredited in England and Wales since 2014. An article written by Esther Tarnay. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 21st of February. Glasgow to be hit by strong winds as train services disrupted. An article written by Sara Pacheroni, multimedia reporter. Glasgow will be affected by high winds today as the centre of Storm Franklin approaches Scotland. The Met Office issued a yellow warning for wind for Monday, which will remain in place until 1pm. Although the warning narrowly misses the city, covering parts of the west coast of Scotland and Dumfries and Galloway, the Weather Service is advising the whole country to stay vigilant. It tweeted, The centre of Storm Franklin is currently moving across Scotland. Spells of rain, hail, sleet and snow across the north of the UK. Heavy showers in the south. Very windy for all. Meteorologists are forecasting gusts of wind up to 32 miles an hour around 11am. Conditions are set to improve in the afternoon with sunny spells and milder temperatures. However, heavy rain is expected for later tonight and high winds are predicted once again for Tuesday with gusts of up to 42 miles an hour. Travel in Glasgow is currently affected with long queues due to surface water and delays to public transport. Trains between Ayr and Girvan via Glasgow Central have been cancelled due to speed restrictions on the trains. Train services between Stranraer and Glasgow Central via Kilmarnock will be delayed or terminated at and started back from Ayr. Train services between Glasgow Queen Street and Oban and Queen Street and Malig are being delayed or revised due to speed restrictions caused by heavy rain. An article written by Sara Pacheroni. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 21st of February. New defibrillator for Glasgow's Kings Park School. An article written by Katrina Stewart, columnist and reporter. Staff at a Glasgow secondary school are making sure they keep pupils safe by undertaking first aid courses. Now more than 25 teachers at Kings Park Secondary are fully qualified in life-saving techniques. And the school now also has a defibrillator machine in case of cardiac arrest. St Andrew's First Aid's Director of Campaigns and Public Engagement, Jim Dorman, said We're absolutely delighted to further our working partnership with Kings Park Secondary School by presenting them with this defibrillator. This device has proven it can save the life of someone who'd suffered a sudden cardiac arrest. It shows that Kings Park Secondary School is putting the health and welfare of its pupils, staff and visitors to the forefront and is also a huge boost to the local community. This development in staff and the gifting of the defibrillator machine has been in partnership with St Andrew's First Aid. And the secondary school said it's grateful for the partnership. A spokesperson said, A defibrillator has been something we wanted in school for a while. It's recently been prominent in sporting events and we really wanted to know if we could prolong life if a cardiac arrest was to happen. A representative from the school's youth parliament added, This addition could save lives. It's practical and we're so thankful as it could really happen to anyone. Councillor Chris Cunningham, City Convenor for Education, Skills and Early Years, praised Kings Park's efforts. He said, This is a lovely story of the school's commitment to health and well-being, both for their school and local community, and I want to congratulate the staff for gaining their first aid certificates. An article written by Katrina Stewart. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 21st of February.
Prime Minister to hold press conference amid change to Covid rules. An article written by Kieran Doody, UK trending editor. Boris Johnson is set to hold a Downing Street press conference today, with the Prime Minister set to announce major changes to Covid rules in England. Mr Johnson will meet with his cabinet on Monday morning before updating MPs in the afternoon on his blueprint for moving out of the pandemic. He said the proposal would be about finally giving people back their freedom after one of the most difficult periods in our country's history. The Prime Minister said today will mark a moment of pride after one of the most difficult periods in our country's history as we begin to learn to live with Covid. It wouldn't be possible without the efforts of so many. The NHS, who delivered a life-saving vaccine rollout at phenomenal speed, our world-leading scientists and experts and the general public for their commitment to protecting themselves and their loved ones. He added, The pandemic is not over, but thanks to the incredible vaccine rollout, we're now one step closer towards a return to normality and finally giving people back their freedoms while continuing to protect ourselves and others. The Prime Minister's announcement will come just over 24 hours after it was confirmed that the Queen had tested positive for coronavirus. As announced on Saturday, the UK government is planning to scrap the legal duty for those who test positive for coronavirus to have to self-isolate by the end of the week. Following his statement to the House of Commons, the Conservative Party leader is expected to give a press conference in the evening. Downing Street said the plan for living with COVID-19 would be vaccine-led, with the programme remaining open to those who've not yet had a jab. An article written by Kieran Doody. Glasgow Times News, on Monday the 21st of February. Socky Hall Street small traders fear for the future as big names exit. A front-page article by Stuart Patterson and Sara Pacheroni. For more than a century, three streets have defined Glasgow city centre. From the heydays of the dance halls and the picture halls, the famous grand department stores, through to the retail bars, restaurant and clubbing days, Socky Hall Street, Buchanan Street and Argyle Street have been the living, breathing, beating heart of the city centre. Now, with a revolution in retail and a post-lockdown crisis for the hospitality and music sector, the three streets are facing an identity crisis. We're literally asking, what are they for? A task force is to review the purpose of the main shopping streets, which in the 1990s and 2000s were boasting the top shopping destinations outside London. The streets were named the Golden Z, the Style Mile, and Glasgow was bringing in shoppers from near and far in their tens of thousands. Today we look at Socky Hall Street's pedestrian precinct, and while the focus has been on the big names as they close their doors, we speak to independent, small traders who rely on the city centre for their living. While their presence adds to what's on offer, they depend on the big names drawing in the shoppers. With Marks & Spencer the latest and biggest to announce it's leaving the street, there's a feeling of entering the last days of Socky Hall Street. BHS, C&A, Dunn's, HMV, Watt Brothers, Dixon's and Littlewood's are just some of the big names already to have come and gone on the street in recent decades. A walk along the street shows the scale of empty units and the impact on those who remain. From the start of the pedestrian precinct at Rose Street to the top of Buchanan Street, the Glasgow Times counted 67 units on that stretch of the street. Of those, there were 18 currently empty, two more that have announced that they are closing, and four which are to let, with a tenant still currently trading. More than one in three either closed or closing. But the numbers alone don't tell the whole story – 
for among those are the biggest units on the street lying empty. BHS and Duns bookend the precinct like hollow, angry giants dragging the street down. Watt brothers in the middle will not see an open purse or wallet again. Jamie O'Neill, owner of Hotspot on Hall Street, which he opened in 2019, says the lack of people in the city centre is a serious concern. He said during Covid, the first few months, we were obviously closed. After that, the street took a bit of time to recover, but with the offices not fully going back and people being discouraged from coming into the city centre unless they really needed to, it was like dominoes. Moving down the street, one store after another, all these were big names that used to bring footfall to the city centre. Now small businesses like mine and others in the Savoy Centre are really struggling, because people that would come here normally, they're just not coming. George Rogers' repair shop Max opened nine years ago, but now is sitting among several empty units on Socky Hall Street. He said it's all about survival at the moment. He said, I think it's going to take the months ahead to kind of get a realisation of how much impact the closures have got on the street. Lately, we've just been in survival mode, so you're not really thinking about it as much, rather than just getting through each day as it comes. But the more closures that come, it's going to have a real impact. My hope for the business, and for here, is that when office workers come back, business will come back. I do notice that Saturday and Sunday trading has dropped substantially. The expensive rents are the biggest issue. I just hope it doesn't get worse. Changes afoot with the plans to demolish Buchanan Galleries and rebuild new streets. The task force says it will be a key factor in future plans and that Socky Hall Street will be a priority in the wider review. Angus Miller, co-chair of the City Centre Task Force, said It's vital that we take a strategic approach to supporting areas like Socky Hall Street, identifying opportunities for the repurposing of vacant retail and commercial units, redeveloping gap sites and reviewing the balance of different uses of property there. This review will make a significant contribution to our recovery efforts and promote a positive future for our city centre. Developers like Buchanan Gallery's owners Landsec can afford to play the long game, but for traders like Jamie and George, where survival is a month-to-month battle, it can't come soon enough. An article written by Stuart Patterson and Sara Pacheroni. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 21st of February. Strike at Glasgow and Strathclyde University to continue this week. An article written by Lauren Gilmore, Facebook community reporter. Industrial action at two city universities is set to continue this week as staff accuse bosses of failing to make improved offers on pensions and conditions. Lecturers and support staff are demanding a £2,500 pay rise for all university employees at Strathclyde and Glasgow. Striking staff will hold a rally along with the National Union of Students Scotland outside the Scottish Parliament in Edinburgh on Tuesday at one o'clock. Staff are also engaged in action short of a strike, which involves working strictly to contract, not covering for absent colleagues, not rescheduling lectures or classes cancelled due to strike action, or undertaking any voluntary activities. The Universities and College Union, or UCU, said universities can more than afford to meet the demands of staff. UCU General Secretary Joel Grady said, whilst the university sector continues to bring in tens of billions of pounds each year, the staff who make it work have been forced to endure over a decade of real-term pay cuts and the indignity of trying to make ends meet on exploitative and insecure contracts. 
Vice-chancellors and principals on eye-watering salaries have serious questions to answer as to why they've allowed staff pay to fall by over 25% since 2009, further exposing staff to the cost-of-living crisis. Staff members aren't asking for the world. They want secure contracts, decent pay, manageable workloads and for employers to end their vindictive attacks on pensions. But instead of listening to the long-standing concerns of their own workforce, employers have pushed them to breaking point and now half are reporting signs of depression. During these strikes, the support of students has been overwhelming. In their thousands, they've lobbied their principals and we're proud that on Wednesday the 2nd of March, they'll be taking UK-wide strike action alongside staff. It's high time this world-leading sector stopped dining off the goodwill and dedication of its staff and started treating them with dignity. An article written by Lauren Gilmore. Evening Times, February 21. Lifestyle Memories Pioneering Glasgow plastic surgeon who became world famous for helping the boy David. Report by Anne Fotheringham. Boundary-pushing plastic surgeon Ian Jackson who gained worldwide recognition after helping to restore the facial features of abandoned Peruvian boy David Lopez was born in Glasgow in 1934. He grew up in Shettleston where he went to school at Eastbank Academy and he graduated from the University of Glasgow School of Medicine in 1959. Working at the renowned West of Scotland Plastic and Maxi Low Facial Surgery Unit at the city's Canisburn Hospital, he became known for his pioneering development of cleft lip and craniofacial and reconstructive surgery. In 1976, in Peru, he agreed to help David, who had been abandoned in a jungle as long as David could be brought back to Scotland. The Glasgow public helped raise funds to make it happen. Professor Jackson and his colleague Kashid Moos carried out more than 80 operations to reconstruct David's face. Their story made headlines around the world and Professor Jackson and his wife Marjorie adopted David. Renowned journalist Desmond Wilcox made a series of documentaries about the Jacksons and David, which were eventually made into a film, The Boy David Story, in 2003. In 1979, Professor Jackson moved from Bearsden to Minnesota, where he became chairman of the Department of Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery at the world-famous Mayo Clinic. He founded the Craniofacial Institute in Michigan in the early 90s. He received many awards and honorary degrees, including the Sir Harold Gillis Gold Medal from the British Association of Plastic Surgeons in 1996, and two years later, a medal from the Royal College of Surgeons of Edinburgh. He worked tirelessly for charity and was honorary chairman of the Smile Train, established to train overseas surgeons in craniofacial surgery. 
He died in 2020. Report by Anne Fotheringham. Evening Times, February 21. Mike Daly says gross inequity as bank arrestments set to soar. Diligence is the generic name for the various legal processes that a creditor can use to get its hands on your money or property after it has obtained a court order against you. The COVID-19 pandemic has had a profound impact on the level of debt recovery across Scotland. The total number of diligences carried out in 2020-21 was 126,665, representing a massive 56.6% reduction on the previous year. As we come out of the pandemic, there is growing evidence that diligences are on the rise. More worrying than that, they are returning with a vengeance by creditors opting to use bank arrestments as the most powerful way to hoover cash out of your personal current account. Diligence can proceed under two procedures. Summary warrant granted by the court in respect of central and local government debts or court decrees for other types of debt. Almost 91% of all diligences executed in 2020-21 were served under summary warrant procedure in respect of council tax debt. The vast bulk of these used bank arrestments against individuals. If we go back before 2008, bank arrestments used to apply to everything in a consumer's current or savings account. Any net balance in your account would go to your creditor, while for a wage arrestment, you were always left with enough to live on. Legislation passed in 2007 amended the 1987 Debtors Scotland Act to include a new section 73F which introduced the concept of a protected minimum balance, a PMB, in consumer bank accounts. The notion was first advocated by Alex Neil MSP back in 2000 in a proposed Members Bill that I worked with him on. The PMB is presently £529.90. It is based on the assumption that if this sum was your monthly earnings, there would be no deduction if an earnings arrestment was served on your employer. The problem with this assumption is for earning arrestments, there is also a sliding scale for money above £529. A creditor can only take 19% of your wages above £529 and up to £1,915 per month. Above that it's 23% up to £2,879 and anything over that is restricted to 50%. Yet for bank arrestments if you have more than £529, 
it's tough luck. This is having extremely harsh consequences for people. I spoke to Alan McIntosh, a money advisor with AdviceScotland.com, on how bank arrestments are leaving Glaswegians high and dry. Here are some recent examples. One family had two children, mum and dad. They had £1,500 arrested and were left with £623 to survive on for the rest of the month. The only income coming into the joint bank account was £800 earnings, child benefit and universal credit, which was for living costs and rent. The family were left with the gruesome decision of what to spend this on. Food, heating, rent, car finance or petrol so the father could get to work. A single mum had three children and was left with £475. The PMB is £529.90. But if the person has a bill coming out on the day the arrestment is made, or the bank delay in applying, people are left with less than the PMB. The lady was distraught and had to choose between food, heating, childcare costs and going to work. Her account included universal credit for childcare, housing and living costs as well as wages. One individual was left with just £500 by the time he noticed. The money in his bank account was universal credit and a statutory redundancy payment. If his wages had been arrested, the redundancy payment would have been exempt and the creditor would only get 19% of his wage over £529. Sadly, he was left with very little to live on for the many weeks ahead. Alan is concerned that this problem will only get worse. He says, bank arrestments are returning with a vengeance as we recover from COVID-19 and it is likely we will see the volume being done not seen since 2019. This time, they will be more severe and exacerbated by the cost of living crisis. What we are seeing now is a replication of what happened with poindings and the warrant sales, where the harshest debt recovery is now the most commonly used one, increasing by nearly two thirds between 2011 and 2020 and all the evidence suggests huge numbers of them are unduly harsh. The Scottish Parliament is currently looking at amending the PMB. There is no reason why the PMB should be weak and blunt, especially given the cost of living crisis and the fact arrested monies often include universal credit and income for monthly living costs. The Scottish Government could easily make the PMB more sophisticated, like monthly earnings arrestments are, by including a sliding scale for deductions over £529. That would give Scots much needed protection in the challenging times ahead, says Mike Daly. From the Glasgow Times, Wednesday the 23rd of February 2022, 
From the news section, BMW driver who walked away after Glasgow crash caused three cars to be written off. An exclusive by Lauren Brownlee. A banned driver who caused three cars to be written off after crashing got out of his vehicle and walked away. Jonathan Murray lost control of his black BMW while driving on Kilmarnock Road in Glasgow's south side on February 6, 2020. The 42-year-old caused his vehicle to spin out of control and hit three parked cars at 10.30pm. This resulted in a Ford Focus being written off to the value of £30,000, a Mazda to be written off to the value of £6,700 and £500 worth of damage to an Audi. His own car also had to be written off. At Glasgow Sheriff Court, Murray was sentenced after previously pleading guilty to driving while disqualified, driving without insurance and losing control of his car resulting in it striking three vehicles, causing extensive damage. The prosecutor said, A witness who observed the collision take place was within a vehicle on the road. He alighted from his vehicle to go to the aid of the accused, but the accused alighted from the BMW and proceeded to walk. The owners of the vehicles returned to the cars and observed that the damage was new. Police attended and observed the BMW had extensive damage. Inquiries were carried out. The court heard that the accused told cops he sold the vehicle. However, he was arrested months later after inquiries, including various DNA checks. Murray's lawyer revealed his client was disqualified two weeks before the incident. He said, January 23rd, 2020 is when he was convicted. That's the last court conviction on his record. He was disqualified for 18 months in order to carry out unpaid work. He completed that without any problems. He was placed within the Parks Department and enjoyed it. He has nothing else outstanding. He hasn't required a vehicle since the incident and hasn't driven since then. He doesn't own a vehicle and doesn't have any intentions of doing so again. He lives with his mother and has been her carer for 15 years. He suffered from bad mental health. He consumes alcohol at quite a significant level and acknowledges that that remains problematic for him. He made a self-referral to an alcohol service. He would be suitable for a community-based disposal. He gained benefit from the previous unpaid work order. I'm asking you to consider that. Sheriff Bernard Abbott said, There is a decision to be made here. Imprisonment could be open to the court. Murray was disqualified from driving for 23 months, placed under social work supervision for 12 months, and ordered to carry out 180 hours of unpaid work. And that article is an exclusive by Lauren Brownlee. From the Glasgow Times, Wednesday the 23rd of February 2022, from the news section, Lockfield Drive, almost £174,000 worth of drugs seized in Paisley. By Sarah Campbell, digital journalist. A man is due to appear in court in connection with the discovery of Class A drugs worth an estimated six-figure sum in Paisley yesterday. A large quantity of heroin with an approximate street value of £174,000 was found at a property on Lockfield Drive on Tuesday, February 22nd. The man, aged 63, was arrested and charged in connection with the recovery. He is due to appear at Paisley Sheriff Court on Wednesday, February 23rd, 2022. Detectives in Renfrewshire can confirm that a six-figure sum of Class A drugs has been seized following a proactive operation in the Paisley area.
Detective Inspector Robert Bowie of Renfrewshire and Inverclyde's Series and Organised Crime Team said, This is significant recovery reinforces our determination to target serious and organised crime. Drug misuse brings nothing but misery to our communities and people's lives can be ruined. I want to reassure the public that we will continue to use every tool and tactic at our disposal to remove these illegal substances from our streets. Serious and organised crime has no place in our society and we will continue to disrupt this and any other criminal activity which impacts on our lives and our communities. That was a piece by Sarah Campbell. From the Glasgow Times, Wednesday the 23rd of February 2022, from the news section. Man given motorbike as a present, drove it whilst banned and under the influence. This article is an exclusive by Lauren Brownlee. A man who was caught driving a motorbike after drinking alcohol was later found to be disqualified. Michael Ferry, 52, was travelling on Glen Connor Way in Kirkintilloch when police spotted him at 4.25pm on September 11th last year. The cops carried out checks which revealed that there was not a valid insurance policy or MOT test certificate in place. At Glasgow Sheriff Court, the prosecutor said, The accused had parked and secured the vehicle and police officers exited their vehicle and identified themselves to the accused. Upon speaking with him, they became aware of a strong smell of alcohol and required him to provide a sample of breath. He complied and failed. Police carried out personal checks and discovered he was disqualified from driving. He was taken to Coatbridge Police Station where the usual procedures were carried out. Ferry was found to be nearly two times over the alcohol limit. He pleaded guilty to driving while disqualified, with no insurance or MOT, and after consuming alcohol. His lawyer said, The explanation is within the social work report. His partner had bought him this motorbike. He intended working on it and selling it on to make a profit. He stays in Cumbernauld and the vehicle was kept in Kirkintilla to keep it out of his way. The distance he had travelled on it was relatively short. A one-year supervision order was imposed on him in June last year. He is complying and engaging well. He has difficulty with a long-standing drug problem. Whilst addressing the heroin problem, he started to drink excessively. He lost his brother, but he says he can't use that as an excuse anymore. He's been drinking too long. He's a number of analogous convictions, but 2015 was the last time he offended in a similar fashion. Sheriff Bernard Ablett said, Given the nature of your offence and your previous convictions, imposing a custodial sentence is something that would be in mind for the court. However, I have noted that you have made progress with the other community payback order. In these circumstances, I intend to impose a further community-based disposal. Ferry, of Cumbernauld, was placed under social work supervision for one year, disqualified from driving for 25 months, ordered to carry out 112 hours of unpaid work, and stay within his home from 7pm to 7am for 40 days. The sentence was imposed as a direct alternative to custody, and that article was an exclusive by Lauren Brownlee. From the Glasgow Times, Wednesday the 23rd of February 2022, from the news section, Mum punched Marks and Spencer's worker after being caught stealing from Glasgow store. This article is an exclusive by Lauren Brownlee. A mum punched an M&S worker after being caught shoplifting. 
Amy Ward was spotted taking items from the shelves and placing them within her carrier bag at the Glasgow Fort supermarket on August 29, 2020. The 26-year-old single mum left the shop without making any attempt to pay, but had been caught by Robbie Watt, a member of the store security staff. When stopped by the employee, Ward threw the bag to the floor and started running. A short foot chase took place and, when approached by Watt, she punched him to the face. The court heard that Watt was attempting to stop her from getting away and the pair were engaged with each other for a number of seconds. Ward's defence solicitor explained that his client appeared before Glasgow Sheriff Court as a first offender. She pleaded guilty to stealing a number of cosmetic items and assaulting the staff member by punching him. The lawyer said she had recently experienced a family bereavement which caused her distress. She became involved in the incident and a short chase takes place. The security guard tries to grab her and she accepts she punched him in the face. There was no injury. She was in a car crash in 2019 and receives personal independence payment. She's a single parent and receives benefits. Clearly withstanding a lack of record, you could deal with her by fine. If not, you could keep an eye on her by deferring sentence for good behaviour to see if this was a one-off incident. However, Sheriff Bernard Ablett deferred sentencing so a social work report could be prepared. He said, I would like to hear about her background before sentencing her. Ward of Airdrie will return to court on March 28th. And that article was an exclusive by Lauren Brownlee. From the Glasgow Times, Wednesday the 23rd of February 2022, from the news section, Nicola Sturgeon update. These are the changes to Scotland's Covid rules. By Xander Richards, political reporter. Nicola Sturgeon has announced that an end to Scotland's Covid passport scheme, as well as other significant changes to the nation's pandemic response. The First Minister was speaking as she laid out the updated strategic framework for dealing with the coronavirus pandemic. She said that Scotland would seek to rely much less on legally imposed measures and more on vaccines, treatments and sensible adaptations. The Covid certification scheme will come to an end on Monday, February 28th, although some businesses may choose to continue with it if they wish. The legal requirement to wear masks in public settings is also to be lifted from March 21st, becoming guidance instead. The First Minister added, We also expect on March 21st to lift the legal requirement for businesses, places of worship and service providers to have regard to Scottish Government guidance on COVID and to take reasonably practicable measures set out in the guidance. And the legal requirement on businesses and service providers to retain customer contact details is also expected to end on 21st of March. Sturgeon said that as part of the effort, the vaccination programme would be extended. This includes rolling out first doses to 5-11 to year olds from mid-March. The news comes one day after Boris Johnson announced that all of the remaining Covid rules in England would be scrapped. The legal requirement to self-isolate after a positive te- test will be ditched from Thursday, February the 24th and free testing for the general public ended from April the 1st. Ending free testing in England means that the knock-on Barnet funding for the devolved nations testing programmes will also end. The First Minister signalled that Scotland would continue with a free testing programme moving forward, despite moves in England. She told MSPs, If you have Covid symptoms, you should continue to go for a PCR test. 
Access to these tests will remain free of charge at testing sites across the country. Second, you should continue to make regular use of lateral flow tests, even if you don't have symptoms. We will, for Monday, revert to advice at test to test at least twice a week, and in particular if you're going to a crowded place or mixing with someone who is clinically vulnerable. Lateral flow tests will remain free of charge in this transition phase. Indeed, we consider it important, in line with the principle of healthcare at at the point of use, that they should remain free of charge for any circumstance in which government recommends testing. This is a principle we will seek to uphold in our longer term plan. The First Minister said she wanted to emphasise that in Scotland, for now, we will continue to ask those who test positive for COVID to isolate for the recommended period. This is in line with advice from English Chief Medical Officer Professor Chris Whitty, who asked people who test positive for COVID-19 to isolate. Sturgeon said Scotland will continue to make self-isolation support payments available to those who are eligible, despite them being scrapped south of the border. She said self-isolation remains one of the most fundamental public health protections that we have available. Sturgeon expressed frustration at the Tory government's moves and criticised the UK system, which means decisions made in England affected the evolved nation's approach. She said, Current funding arrangements mean that although taxpayers in all four UK nations contribute to the costs, it is decisions taken for England that determine the resources available to Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland for testing and other Covid measures. As of now, we have no clarity on how much of the Covid testing infrastructure the UK government intends to retrain, no clarity on how much investment will support it in future, and no clarity on whether the Treasury will provide additional resources to pay for it or demand instead that funding is taken from elsewhere in the health budget. I hope we get this clarity soon so that we can work out more detail on our longer term approach to testing. Sturgeon said that Scotland will not be taking a one-size-fits-all approach, instead using a framework that categorises the current level of COVID threat as either low, medium or high. Depending on the level of threat, the First Minister did not rule out the return of the restrictions. She said that if a new coronavirus variant emerged that was both more severe and more transmissible, then people may be advised to limit social interactions and work from home. If a variant emerged that, like Omicron, was either more severe or more transmissible, but not both, then face masks and business guidance may be brought back in. If the situation remains the same, Sturgeon said, the threat classification would likely remain low. Obviously, this is the level we hope to reach and stay on a sustainable basis. In these circumstances, there will be no legally imposed protective measures. Instead, we will continue to advise individuals and organisations to adopt sensible public health behaviours, she said. The First Minister also confirmed the latest coronavirus figures. She said Scotland had recorded 18 new COVID-linked deaths and a further 6,427 cases in 24 hours. This brings the number of deaths under this measure of people who tested positive for the virus in the previous 28 days to 10,614. Some 1,060 people were in hospital on Monday with recently confirmed COVID with 12 people in intensive care. A total of 4,433,160 people have received their first dose of a COVID-19 vaccination 
over 4 million have received their second dose and almost 3.5 million have received a third dose or booster. And that was an article by Xander Richards. From the Glasgow Times, Wednesday the 23rd of February 2022, from the news section, Snow in Scotland, forecast, exact time Met Office warn of thunder snow, by Jack Aitchison, live editor, The Herald. A danger to life warning has been issued across much of Scotland, with heavy snow and blizzard-like winds forecast. Travel disruption is expected across much of the country, with two separate Met Office yellow warnings in place from around 6am on Wednesday. Forecasters warn that heavy snow showers, very gusty winds and the chance of frequent lightning, resulting in so-called thundersnow in some places. They say there is a chance of injuries and danger to life from flying debris, with damage to buildings also possible. Travel disruption to road, rail, air and ferry services is also predicted. The forecast reads, Temperatures across Scotland and Northern Ireland are expected to drop sharply following a squally band of rain on Wednesday, with frequent heavy and busty snow showers arriving from the Atlantic. Away from immediate west-facing coasts, 2-5 cm, and in places 7-10 cm of snow is likely to build up, even at low levels, whereas in higher ground some places could see 20-30 cm building up by Thursday morning. The showers will be accompanied by strong, busty winds, with gusts of 50 to 60 miles per hour possible and a small chance of 70 miles per hour in coasts. Blizzard conditions are likely over higher ground. There is a very small chance that some of the showers could be accompanied by frequent lightning, which could impact power supplies. Snow showers are increasingly likely to turn back to rain and sleet at low levels on Thursday morning and early afternoon, although remaining a snow above 200 to 300 metres. An initial warning for wind is in place in the east of the country from 6am to 3pm on Wednesday. A further alert for wind and snow is in place for a large portion of the west and north of Scotland from 1pm on Wednesday to 3pm on Thursday. It comes following extensive disruption following storms Eunice, Dudley and Franklin. And that article is by Jack Aitchison. And that was this week's Glasgow Times News Podcast, normally recorded in our studio at the Bishop Briggs Media Centre, currently recorded from our volunteers' homes with the publisher's kind permission. Thanks for listening.